Welcome to the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Uh, there's been a lot going on these past uh, few weeks with the coronavirus, COVID-19. Uh, I'm not going to say much about it because I'm not an expert and our society has a problem with people listening to uh, those who are not experts. And so uh, I'm not going to profess to be one. All I'm going to say for now is I hope everyone stays safe. And to let you know, I will have um, a lot more time on my hands to do things like uh, prepare podcasts. So I hope to have uh, more podcasts delivered to you um, uh, for many of you who will have a lot more time at home these days. So uh, stay tuned for that and stay safe. Um, this Today we'll be talking about the mission system in Carmel-by-the-Sea. Enjoy. <music> I am not a world traveler by any means. I've traveled to a handful of places, but there are still many places on my lists that I've been told uh, will take my breath away. Nevertheless, I'm going to say with little hesitation that Carmel by the Sea, that little town uh, kind of heading towards the northern part of California, might be one of the most beautiful places in the world. In fact, the whole area around the coast there, from Big Sur to Monterey, is absolutely breathtaking. For those who've never been to Carmel, you've probably seen it in the context of golf. It's where uh, the famous golf course Pebble Beach is located. But my favorite part is that little strip of beach uh, right below the golf course and all the dogs. Uh, it's one of those kind of dog park beaches that's... Uh, beautiful combination of a Northern California beach meets a yuppie dog park in a big city. Uh, in fact, the whole town is pretty yuppie. Lots of art galleries and boat shoes and wine bars. The average home price is a cool 1.3 million. Uh, but I'll, whatever the stock market has done this week, that might have modified slightly, but not much. Um, and the mission that we're going to talk about this week is located in the southern part of the city and backs up to the Carmel River. That river, the Carmel River, which is connected to Carmel Valley, which leads you to Carmel by the sea, um, has functioned as a life source since this area was colonized by the Europeans in the 18th century. The Carmel River was actually in the news this decade uh, because it was the location of California's largest dam removal project. Dams in California are touch points of controversy and point to larger issues related to water, which is a whole nother podcast series. Um, and there's been some great books written on history of water in California. In this particular situation, the company that owned the dam, California American Water, uh, tore the dam down. Uh, this dam was called the San Clemente Dam. Uh, after issues with silt buildup, you know, that muddy sludge stuff and aging pipes that made the dam functionally unusable. Moreover, it was determined that if an earthquake uh, happened, it could cause the dam to burst and destroy the homes that uh, were situated near it. So after some haggling, the company decided to tear it down rather than reinforce it and, and uh, spend the money there. And a side benefit was the return of this uh, fish called the steelhead, 
which is a species of rainbow trout. Uh, this fish had been gone for a long time, uh, but somehow managed to claw its way back. These are the same fish, in fact, that the native people who lived in this area when the Spanish arrived um, would have been eating right when Uniparacera would have gotten off the boat uh, to begin his mission in the area. Now, we've already discussed Sarah, but he's going to come again for a few minutes as we discuss the origin of the mission in Carmel. Carmel was actually the second location of the mission. It was originally founded in Monterey, just a little bit north of there, uh, but was moved to Carmel as Sarah discovered that there were more native people living near Carmel. And also because allegedly the native people were being treated poorly by the soldiers stationed at the Presidio, which is where the military outpost was located in Monterey. Now, we don't know exactly what was happening, but the indications are it was uh, sexual in nature, some of the activities that were going on that uh, concerned Unite Barocera. Uh, moreover, um, a location in Carmel would give them proximity to the uh, Carmel River, uh, which was a s source of fresh water, good soil, and fish. Sarah loved this location so much that he made it the capital of his mission system. The, the mission was named after the St. Charles Borremo. I hope I'm saying that correctly. A name that is not as familiar to the average person like someone like Ignatius or Thomas Aquinas. Borromeo was convinced. Uh, Borromeo was an important figure in the Counter-Reformation. Uh, this was the church's response to the series of reformations that eventually uh, produced uh, what is Protestantism, which is what a lot of people think of when they hear the word Christianity today. Um, Borromeo was convinced that the reason that Catholics, like uh, Luther most famously, uh, dissented was that they were not properly educated. Consequently, he began establishing seminaries all across Europe. Now, given Sarah's relationship with academics in the earlier part of his life, like we discussed in previous podcasts, this character seems like an understandable hero for Junipero Serra. It's worth noting here that Sarah loved this mission so much that he spent his final days on earth here. And it only takes one visit to Carmel by the Sea to understand why that is. If you visit the museum uh, at the mission, you can actually visit the cell where Sarah lived and died. Now, after Sarah died, uh, the mission system was taken over by Fermin uh, Laswin, uh, who in fact governed the mission system longer than Sarah himself. Uh, he would govern the mission system for 18 years following the death of Sarah, and would establish nine more missions, bringing the total to 18, effectively doubling the efforts of his predecessor. Also, like his predecessor, Farmin, uh, had a particular affection for the mission in Carmel. He was the one who built the church that still stands on the mission site today. Uh, last summer, I visited the city of Tunis in Tunisia, a small country country on the coast of North Africa, wedged between Algeria and Libya. We visited buildings there from the history of Christianity, Rome, and then much more broadly ancient history. It was an amazing experience, and the connection to these buildings thousands of years old was a feeling that uh, is very rare to have. Particularly living in the United States, we often feel cut off from history. 
Part of that is our disposition as people. We're always building new things, changing things, expanding our world through the nouveau and interesting and uh, shiny objects that we're chasing. But also, we're not surrounded by history in the same way that people in many other countries in the world are. Uh, many of them are faced with history when they walk out their front door. This mission building is, in fact, one of the oldest buildings we have in California still standing today. It is worth visiting to connect yourself to our somewhat recent past. Fermin uh, would continue to operate out of the Carmel mission until he died in 1803. Uh, Fermin and Junipero were interesting companions. Unlike Sarah, Fermin did not have the intellectual background of his predecessor. Uh, but he was much more capable in his interpersonal relationships and his administrative skills. Um, I would like to have more information about his time as the president of the mission, uh, but there has not been as extensive research on Fermin. It comes down to this, uh, and the reason is this is, it comes down to this principle of the uh, first mover advantage. Uh, this principle is an idea that applies mainly to investing, entrepreneurship, or marketing. The idea is simply that the first one to enter a marketplace with a product will command the brand recognition and customer loyalty, uh, which is, uh, you know, why iPhone is such, uh, just is the kind of the, the marker of uh, a smartphone is really um, due to Apple entering that market really in a first and most considerable way. Now, the principle applies to many other areas as well particularly in history, uh, whoever gets there first is typically the one associated with that historical moment, uh, which brings to mind uh, inventions. Now, inventions are interesting um, because there are many inventions or discoveries or ideas that were created simultaneously all over the world. For example, uh, Einstein's famous E equals MC squared was actually discovered simultaneously by multiple people. If you're at all interested in this stuff, there's a Wikipedia page where you can spend a whole afternoon uh, looking at the multiple discoveries uh, that have taken place all over the world. Um, and so many of the things that we come to associate with one person are actually uh, things that were invented by multiple people. Um, obviously, Sarah's importance, coming back to history for a moment, was that he created something, uh, he created it and expanded it. Uh, but Fermin um, should also share some of the stage with him because not only did Fermin carry on Sarah's legacy, but uh, he really formalized the system um, and made it the efficient system that it would become. Now, whether you agree with the mission system in principle and what they did and their relationship with native people is a different subject, but um, in terms of their ability, um, Sarah's uh, successor deserves to share part of the stage in our history books. Now, let's get back to the mission. Uh, the church building that Fermin built was the first stone building built at any of the mission sites. The stone was harvested from the St. Lucia Mountains, which are adjacent to uh, Carmel by the sea. Uh, most of the mission buildings were made originally out of adobe, but the main church building was built out of stone. Uh, the only other mission sites that had buildings made out of this stone were the ones in Santa Barbara and San Juan Capistrano. Now, 
The economy of the mission was centered around agriculture and husbandry. The main agricultural staple of the mission was wheat and corn. Uh, the native people that lived close uh, converted and became the workforce of the mission. Now, given the small number of priests, the native people, particularly the neophytes who had been baptized, and uh, were the ones that were going to be handling uh, the life and the work of the mission. They were trained as plowmen, herders, shepherds, blacksmiths, carpenters. Any skill that was needed, uh, native people were trained to do it. Now, there's an interesting, on this subject, idea that is ultimately distasteful but interesting uh, that ran around the internet for a few years ago. Um, it's worth bringing up for you for a moment to just at least ponder. Um, a professor from Portland State uh, wrote an article called The Case for Colonialism, in which he argued that the idea... Uh, that colonialism was universally bad for all subjugated people is, so he says, overstated. He goes on to highlight the benefits of colonialism. Many of the benefits are related to economic development, technological introduction, uh, improved health uh, and wellness, um, by the introduction of the modern, uh, modern medicine. The claim that he is making is interesting, and one, if one sits down and thinks about some of the things that were brought uh, to the native people of California, sure. Uh, but his ideas are ultimately misguided. Now, colonialism, by its very nature, comes with an inherent violence. Um, the improvements that these people, quote-unquote, improvements, uh, were forced on them. And that forcing is the problem. Uh, and, the, and the reason why it's a problem is that there are plenty of places in the world that have acquired many of these improvements um, not through a forced colonial uh, introduction, but through trade and relationships. It is the interaction of people that naturally leads to the curiosity of what the other has. This professor is not, in fact, highlighting the benefits of colonialism, but the benefits of human interaction and engagement. The native people at the mission were learning skills through their interactions with these priests. But these skills, unfortunately, were part of a larger geopolitical agenda of Spain. And when their support and resources were dropped, the native people even though they had adopted many of these things that they'd learned, ultimately dropped them and returned back to their way of life, in part because their way of life had evolved to meet their environment. And so, you know, when we think about the mission system, you know, um, a lot of the skills that they could have offered to Native people would be beneficial. Carpentry, ultimately beneficial. Um, but it's just how it's introduced and the relationship uh, between the two groups that's the issue. And ultimately, um, we can say that the benefit is in the connection of the people, uh, not in colonialism. So I thought I'd just spend a few moments on that because it's an interesting uh, interesting point of view. 
uh, but one nonetheless that we should discount as misguided. Now, uh, one of the things you learn uh, when you visit a mission as a student in grade school is that there are all that there are many different jobs you can have when you, if you lived on a mission. Um, and these missions were in effect kind of charter towns run by priests. For the most part, uh, the native people lived on the mission. Uh, their lives were highly regimented. To live on a mission, one had to convert to Christianity and learn about the religion uh, through a program called catechism, which obviously still exists today. Uh, for our non-religious and even non-Catholic friends, uh, catechism is basically a course explaining the theology and the big ideas of the Catholic Church. Um, consider it just Roman Catholicism 101. Uh, by consequence, the natives will also be expected to learn Spanish, um, because that's the nature of the uh, education and the language that it was delivered in. And they're also expected to be able to chant in Latin, uh, which I'm sure was an interesting thing to observe. Um, they also had new laws governing their lives um, that were religious laws, but they were basically just laws because religion and government were not separate. Um, and for Native people who lived in cultures with very different axioms, worldviews, and beliefs, uh, this was likely a difficult transition uh, point because many of these laws related to both uh, personal behavior, uh, romantic relationships, and uh, things you cannot, can, can and cannot do as part of your religious practice. Now, life at the mission followed these regimented patterns until about 1821, when Mexico gained independence from Spain. We're not going to go into too much detail about the Mexican Revolution here, obviously, because that will earn its own series of podcasts, but suffice it to say, it was the beginning of the end. In 1834, the Mexican government brought an end to the mission system, meaning that the economic system of the missions ended, and the mission was supposed to sell off the attached land to the natives who lived and worked there. Naturally, this did not happen. Instead, the land was sold to settlers uh, arriving in Alta, California, likely for a higher price than anything they would have gotten from selling it to the natives. Since the land was sold to settlers, natives were forced to leave the land. Many of these late native people would go back to their old ways and work for uh, some of these new landowners uh, who were creating ranches similar to uh, what had came before. Um, and we'll talk about ranchos in future podcasts. After the natives left, uh, the priests soon followed, and the buildings soon became under disrepair and vandalism as they uh, no longer served a central purpose in these charter cities or missions, as we call them. Uh, the central church at the Mission of Carmel uh, caved in, uh, the roof caved in, to be exact, um, in the stone church, and many of the adornments, so the glass in the walls and the religious pieces, uh, were stolen or destroyed. Um, and even after the territory was acquired in the United States and became a state, uh, the church remained in ruins. Uh, the United States, one of its first acts was returned to these missions to the Catholic Church, um, but that did little to uh, bring them back to the same vitality that they had from before. Now, there has been a restoration process, and it's been long and slow moving, but it began in earnest in 1884 uh, and accelerated in 1933. The architect of this process uh, is a pretty famous guy named Harry Downey. Uh, Downey was recruited in 1931 by a priest. Um, Downey was a third-generation cabinet maker from San Francisco. He was initially hired to restore a few statues that had uh, 
worn over time, but the project turned into something much larger. After repairing the initial statues, he moved on to work on the roof in the central building. The initial repair that began in 1884 built the wrong style roof. It was a uh, much more um, roof with an incline and a steeper sides as opposed to a rounded roof like it was traditionally. Um, in addition to restoring uh, the roof, he went on to store much of the buildings in this mission and then was further recruited to restore missions all over California. Um, for his efforts, he would actually be knighted by both Pope Pius and King Juan Carlos of Spain for his efforts to restore these pieces of history. And many of these buildings uh, are actually in use now and serve as part of classrooms um, in a school that stands right where the native people were trained in Catholicism. Students are being trained in something similar at the appropriately named Unipero Serra Elementary at the mission at Carmel. All right, well, so uh, stay home, stay safe. Um, these podcasts will hopefully be uh, posted with more frequency, uh, given the uh, time I have at home to really work on them. I really love producing these, and I hope to do a few more on the mission system before we move on, uh, because it really is fascinating. I hope you have a wonderful, safe, and peaceful week. So long. Um.